0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Kickcast. I'm your standing host, Michael Turner, filling in for the famous Neil Simmons, and I'm joined by two favourites of Kick 360, Pat and Tom. Guys, welcome to Kickcast. Hello, everyone. Nice to be back. Cheers, Turner. How are you going? It's great to be here. I haven't been on a podcast in a while, and Neil's I think wanting to take a break, or he needs to have a pedicure, a manicure, or something. You know, he's he's too famous for us now. He doesn't want to deal with us, but we are here to talk football because we've got the A-League returning soon and, of course, it's a big game this week, which uh, both of you guys are coming to, actually. Absolutely. Can't wait like you... to Sydney. It's going to be... Excited to get out of Melbourne for once there, Tom.
1: Yeah, the People's Republic of Victoria are excited <laughs> to get out and join a real
0: state for once. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me get... Think... Are you secretly hoping you get locked in, Sydney, then they close oh. the borders again? You get to stay in the, the superior state.
1: Oh, I might run out of money pretty quick with how much things cost up in New South Wales, <laughs> but um, I might have to just like sleep rough for a few nights if that happens. But then I'd miss the South versus City game the day after. So, oh, a big yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of football this week. We've
0: got Wanderers and Broadmeadow as well in the FFA Cup. So football is in full swing. Pre-season friendlies are a go and everyone's, of course, making very early judgments on how their teams are <laughs> going to go based on Pretty much youth teams versus youth teams, but the FFA Cup is probably the first time we'll see the competitive sides out there. But let's jump into it. Let's let's talk Socceroos. It's been a while since we've had the Socceroos at home, and it's pretty important World Cup qualifier. And uh, Graham Arnold's just announced the squad, which is probably the reason why we're doing this show. And a couple of surprise inclusions. Uh, now I know both of you guys have uh, talked about this, and everyone's probably talked about this all over Twitter. But
1: who's who's your big name, um, and who's the biggest surprise for you, Tom? For me, I'd say I was honestly slightly surprised by Stensness's inclusion, and that's not any um any disrespect to Stensness as a player. I think he was absolutely phenomenal for Central Coast last season. I think he probably didn't get the plaudits that he deserved, mainly due to the man next to him in midfield, Oli Bassanik, who was equally impressive. But I think Stensness is a real physical presence in midfield, and has actually been playing as a centre back um for his club in Norway, Viking. Uh, whatever they're called. Um, So he's been doing a great job at centre-back. He played in in a back three as a centre-back at the Olympics for New Zealand. And I think his versatility and his physical presence and ability to sort of get around the pitch, win aerial duels, win second balls and stuff, could be valuable if he is called upon for the Socceroos. Pat,
0: how about yourself? What do you think of Stenson's inclusion?
2: Yeah, I think Tom, right at the end, hit the nail on the head as to why Stenson has been included. And I think just... Yeah, his ability to kind I think if he does play, it is a bit of an if, I'm not sure if he's going to start or not, but if he does play, I think he's going to be that more defensive midfielder, whether it's just like kind of as a holding midfielder sitting in front of the back four, or if he's kind of going to be a player just to kind of run around and mop up all of the mess. That's something that I think the soccer is really, really need. I think in the game, even in the games, even before the Japan game, we were a bit vulnerable on the counter-attack. I think the, J- the Japan game showed just kind of how the defence was really exposed by the midfield. So I think a player like Stensness, if Arnold chooses to have him come in, I think he can really fix that up and just kind of shore up the midfield, then that will help the defence as a result. I think okay. quite
1: that as well, we've, we've probably been lucky in the Socceroos for quite a few years that we've had a lot of very, very solid number sixes and we haven't been able to play them all at the same time. There was a period there where we had Yedinak, Mark Milligan, Carl Valeri, a few other very, very good sort of holding midfield players. And there was a point where just to fit someone like Milligan into the team, like he played as a centre-back at the 2018 World Cup when he was a really good midfielder at the time. So I think now we're probably seeing that defensive midfielder-sized hole in the middle of the pitch at times, uh, particularly against the better teams. I think against other... Sort of inferior Asian opposition, you can get away with playing a bunch of stylistic midfielders who need the ball all the time to be able to perform. But against sides like Japan, they'll sort of cut you open, as we saw in our last game. I quite liked um, in your piece, Tom, um, that
0: that quote from Graham Arnold uh, that he, you know, had a very great season at, at the Mariners and he lived up the road from him. And uh, I, I wonder how much that actually contributed to his call up. It's just you know they started to get to know each other. I mean, if I dare say, the conspiracy theorists out there will talk about Sainsbury's inclusion in soccer squads for a personal reason. <laughs> but um, I, I'm
1: curious how much that relationship probably played a part in it. Yeah, I think that's sort of interesting. I think it's it's it would be too far to suggest that Stenness didn't merit an inclusion, but I think obviously they would um that that would have helped having that already um already supported rapport with with Graham Arnold. And if you if you can just go down the road to a local coffee shop and have a chat convincing to come and play for the Socceroos instead of the Kiwis, then that could help for a bit, I reckon. I mean, look, I'm here for the hot take,
0: so I was really hoping you were going to side with me on that thing, <laughs> But, um, I mean, if I can make another hot take, I'd say playing for the Socceroos is probably a better career opportunity than the uh, New Zealand national team. It's no disrespect to Kiwis. I have many Kiwi friends, but, um, you know, the Socceroos are playing at a higher level, so it does make sense. Higher-level players also making a return, Matt Leckie, Jamie McLaren, which uh, actually throws a spanner in the works of Melbourne City's FFA Cup game, which we talked about earlier. Um, so that's an interesting one because I think McLaren and, and Leckie initially, or at least Leckie, um, very early on didn't accept a call-up because they wanted to be close to the family, I believe, because of the quarantine and everything. Now things have changed.
1: But that you know, should be an interesting inclusion to our, to our national team. Absolutely. Yeah. I think people sort of forget um how important someone, especially like Matthew Leckie is, to the team. It's not too long ago that he took the captain's armband instead of Matt Ryan in those um in the Kuwait hub, if we remember back to that. Lecky was Lecky was captain for those games and he scored a few goals. I remember him scoring a couple of headers as well when he was playing more centrally. He's a very, very good player and he's gonna be big for Melbourne City this season and he'll be um be a very valuable asset to add to this Socceroos team, which in my opinion during the Japan game was probably lacking a bit of influence from the wide areas. So I'd love to see him start and, um, and look to beat players 1v1, finish as he does and create some good opportunities in the final third. And we've got um
0: Dennis onro who uh, return, well, I say returns. He's, he's had one cap, but he comes into the Socceroos squad as well. He definitely deserves a place, I think, based on the reports we're getting out of France. Now, I personally don't watch much Ligue 1, but... Um, you know, from our local French correspondent who has kept an eye on him, it seems like he has done a good job. Pat, do you think he adds another element to our to our lineup?
2: Yeah, I think he really does. We all got a really good look at him in the Rue setup in the Tokyo Olympics, and I think he's a fairly all around midfielder. I mean, we as kind of perfect. He can kind of play a bit deep. He he's he's obviously not a defensive midfielder from the midfielder from the outset, but he can still kind of muck in and do the dirty work. He's got a good passing range. He's also a decent threat going forward. So all around midfielders like that, you're never going to complain about having someone like him in the side. And I think he's playing like he's the second division in France is still a it's a decent level and to lose are looking probably to get promoted. So I mean and he's playing week in, week out. So it's perfect. You want players that are fit. You want players that are playing. So I think it's a good inclusion.
0: Now when we mean you touched on Cam Devlin uh missing out. Uh, any other players you think um, well, obviously we can talk about Devlin Moore, but any other players you think are a bit harsh in, in being left out of the soccer squad for this time round?
1: I think personally Chris Economides was really, really unlucky to miss out. Uh, someone at Arnold's recent press conference asked about Economides and why he was left out of this squad, and it sort of makes sense. Arnold's reasoning was that Economides had to come back to Australia do two weeks quarantine, and he hasn't really partaken in many pre-season sessions with Melbourne Victory. I think he only featured in his first pre-season game the other day in Melbourne Victory's game against North Geelong. So he's probably not up to that physical standard that they need to play a, a, basically a do-or-die soccerers game at home against really strong opposition. So that's why the um, the City players were, were preferred in that sense. I think, like, like for example, Andrew Naboot and Chris Conmead is two pretty similar sort of levels of players there. And it's, it, I think having that physical edge and the full preseason really gave Naboot that leg up to get selected in the squad over someone like Econometres. Now, if we look at our soccer's run, obviously there's a lot of media around the 10 in a row and the world record
0: and everything like that. But I think a lot of soccer's fans have sort of forgotten that, you know, after the Japan game, and, you know, they've, they've since clawed back more points as well, um, Saudi Arabia is a must-win game when you look at the overall, especially a game at home. So, you know, Saudi Arabia is no push side. I think a lot of people also look at the, the team and just assume because most of them play domestically in Saudi Arabia that, They are inferior. i put that in quotes because that's not my opinion. Um, But, you know, when you look at the performance of Saudi clubs in the Champions League, then they outperform most Asian sides, you know, on a regular basis. So this is an important game for the Socceroos to win. It is probably pretty pivotal that we are playing this in front of a crowd, and I believe we're at about 24,000 tickets sold. And if you're listening and haven't bought a ticket, please get on that ASAP. Let's fill the house. But um, it's an important game, and they are a strong opposition. Now, Tom, I know you broke down a little bit the Socceroos uh, style of play and, and our deficiencies in the match against Japan. Now, Saudi Arabia, Japan, different sides, but what does Australia need to improve on heading into this important clash?
1: Yeah, I think, I think for, for, for a start, what you've said there is you've hit the absolute nail on the head. Saudi Arabia are not pushovers at all. Um, people suggesting that could not be any further from the truth. They, um, they played at home against Japan in front of 54,000 people in Riyadh so they had that home ground advantage and, and stuff like that. But they dominated Japan. Like, I, I went and watched that game and the game that Saudi Arabia played against China in the past two weeks. I've been finished uni, so I had quite a bit of time <laughs> on my hands. Lucky um, you. And, and, yeah, Saudi are incredible. They're so direct, so aggressive, so fast. They're, they they really um, they widen the pitch so much. They've got really good fullbacks. One of them's out for this game, but um, they've got some really good fullbacks really attacking players in the final third. But perhaps the best thing that Saudi Arabia do is they're, um, they're pressing. So Saudi Arabia will press with four players. Um, Japan often press us with about five. And we really struggled to to get out of that. But what Saudi Arabia do is they, um, they really make it difficult to play out because they're so aggressive in that press. And because we were so bad at playing through Japan's press, that's really what worries me heading into this game. So I think... And not having Aaron Moy, for example, is going to be such a big loss because he's such a press-resistant midfielder who can play under pressure with both feet, unlike Aidan Rustic, who, when he was playing deep, people just show him to his right foot because his right foot's just for standing on. So that was, like, really, really annoying to see against Japan um, how many times he would lose the ball in his own half. I'd probably like to see him push higher up the pitch. Maybe someone like a Jimmy Jago put in front of the back four, someone that has that, like, sort of metronome influence can really get the ball moving and playing through that press. But it'll be a very tough game. But I think with the home ground advantage that we have, should be enough to get us over the line. And I think um, Saudi Arabia has some really big outs as well. So it's essentially no excuses that we don't have Moy or Rogic or Taggart. We've got to win to um, get over the line, really. I'm going to pose a question
0: uh, for you, Pat. Um, but I was, I was actually originally going to ask you if you thought there was anything else Um, that the soccerers need to do heading into this game. But I want to ask, you know, you touched on Moy there, Tom. But, you know, Moy's come under a bit of criticism in the previous campaigns because he's not playing regularly, the Chinese Super League on hold and everything like that. Pat, do you think, you know, what Tom says there about, you know, what he adds tactically to the side outweighs his, you know, potential lack of match fitness?
2: Yeah, I think think Moy is by far the best. Or maybe not by far, but I think Moy is the highest quality player, outfield player in the Socceroos team. And I think obviously he hasn't really – I think he has he, he might have started one of the qualifying games so far. But I know there's probably been two or three occasions he's come off the bench. And every time he's come off the bench, in the five to ten minutes after he's come on, Australia's midfield has elevated a level. It's just his vision is just that step above. Like you can tell he's played in the Premier League for three, four seasons. His vision's a touch above. His passing's a touch above. His calmness and composure on the ball – is a touch above everybody else, and like in it, obviously, he's not playing the next two qualifying games. But in the crunch games, you need you need quality. That's like I just said before, about jean Rowe. It's good that we want to pick players that are playing regularly, but there are times where you make exceptions for players that are at such high quality, and especially important positions such as the center of the park. Sometimes you do have to make an exception for players like Moy who are so good and just like a step above. You, you can kind of say, okay, even if you're not playing as much, as long as you are past fit, then put him in the team.
0: So on that, you know, looking at the squad, there's a, you know, your typical regulars that we've got there and, you know, Mitch Duke has become a regular as well. But there's a there's a lot of, you know, players who've sort of, they're starting to break into the soccer squad. They're, you know, we know about young players who are breaking in. Some of these Oli Roos, they're hungry. They want to get game time. And, and it's the kind of game, especially at home, that, Players will fire up for. Is there, any, is there any surprise starters that you think we we, we have in this squad? You know, Jean Rowe is someone who could probably, you know, surprise everyone and, and he obviously wants to make his mark having just sort of made his mark in Europe and now he's got a chance to do it for the Socceroos. Is there anyone else you think who could who could potentially start and do a job for us?
2: Um, I reckon Callum Elder who plays at left-back at Hull City in the Championship, I reckon he could really be in line to get a start because obviously, unfortunately for Aziz Bage, he did have a bit of a tough time against Japan. And I think, yeah, Elder's been playing regularly in the championship, so I don't see why we couldn't at least give him a go maybe against Saudi Arabia. I think he's won.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think I mentioned Jimmy Jago before. I'm not sure he really classifies as a surprise starter because he's come off the bench in every round three qualifying game so far and played at least 10 minutes and done a really good job in all of those games. So I probably wouldn't say he's a surprise. But if I was to throw a name in the ring, I would say Riley McGree. I think Riley McGree is a wonderful player and he's been in really top form for Birmingham. I think he scored either two in his last three or two in his last four games for Birmingham in the championship, Uh, playing as a number 10 there. So I'd assume with Rogic and Moy out, both played as a number 10 last game, maybe someone like McGree could come in, but I guess it depends what Arnold wants to do with the midfield there. Uh, if I had to guess, I think it'll be Irvine, Hrusic and plus either Jego or McRae that starts in midfield. I think we'll go back to three in midfield and that'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if someone like McRae starts. He's someone that can have that creative influence in the final third and he's really good in tight areas as well. So he's a, he's a really good player and I think he'll be fantastic for the future as well. Yeah, that was so the midfield.
2: The la- oh, sorry, you go. Oh, so that, that that was the midfield I was going to have. I, I was kind of thinking Hrusic. Irvine and Mcgree, but mind you, I think Tom tweeted this this morning. I think Hurustich missed Frankfurt's last game. He wasn't even named on the bench, and I, I think it's been said that he might have a bit of a minor injury problem. So hopefully he can shake that off because obviously with Moyen Rogic out, we probably are going to be relying on Hurostich to really kind of come up with some moments of gold like he did against Japan. So kind of watch that space, I guess.
1: Honestly, I think well,
2: just, a, yeah, you no, you go.
0: I was, I was just going to pose the question that you know. Australia shifting to a midfield three, as you say. For the layman who doesn't follow the tactics, I'll be honest. I'm not one of them. You guys are. Why well, I'm not talking as much as you guys, and I'm happy for that. I I just trust your advice. Um, but for for someone who's not super tactically minded, and bear in mind, there's a lot of there's a lot of you know general football fans who aren't. What does that do for Australia shape? How does that change our gameplay?
1: Yeah. So in in simplest terms, football is a really simple game, right? You have areas on the pitch. You have the middle areas, and you have the wide areas. If you plonk a bunch of midfielders in the middle of the pitch, because that's where, that's where the midfield is, you, you really leave yourself open elsewhere. So, so, for example, in Australia's last game, we played four midfielders. Four really good midfielders um, by themselves. Rustic, Irvine, Moyen, Rogic. Very, very good players. But if you have all of these players compacted in the middle of the pitch, what that means is you don't have as many players out wide. So if you don't have as many players out wide, what the opposition can do is they can sacrifice wide players and put them in the middle, which is exactly what Japan did. So Japan pressed with a very, very narrow front three. They know our fullbacks aren't really that good in possession, if I can say that. Um, But Bayic and Karatich, they're not going to have as much attacking threat as someone like a Moy or a Rogic can have. So they were happy to leave them unmarked out wide because they knew that if if they pressed us, then we wouldn't be able to get the ball to them anyway. So... If we move to a midfield three, what that allows us to do is it allows us to play with wingers, pins other players, um, wide players out wide, which means they have to actually keep the centre of the pitch somewhat open, and then we can try and play the ball through the centre a bit more, and it will give us a bit more space, a bit more time that we didn't really have against Japan, um, especially given that a lot of our best players are in that sort of midfield area, so we want to get them on the ball, which we couldn't really do against Japan. Now,
0: I was... Taking a bit of an aside, now we touched on a little bit on players who are playing regularly. You know, we touched on Moy there as well. It seems relatively clear that Arnold is prioritising players who are playing regular football. Now, a common debate out there is is the whole Daniel Azani conversation. Yeah. is obviously a top talent and people are making a lot of comparisons now with Sapri Singh, who is playing regularly, and there's uh, people who are you know making comparisons with Tilio, who, you know, obviously not playing regularly right now because the season isn't on, but the season is you know, about to start and he will probably play you know, a fair few games for Melbourne City this season. So you know, a player like Arzani, you know, how important is it, considering what we said about Moy, for someone like him to be playing regularly despite you know, he's got great talent, we know he's injury prone and that you know, I'll take that variable out of it for a second, but for players like Arzani to be getting regular game time at, at a decent level?
2: I mean, it probably helps not getting sent off, which I believe is what happened to Daniel Arzani on the weekend. Yes. (laughs) But aside from that, no, it's hugely important. I think one of the biggest problems is with Arzani is that he's really – honestly, at a professional level, he's rarely completed 90 minutes. And I think that is a massive, massive problem. Because, again, we'll touch back to the Olympics. He was actually one of their most exciting players in the Olympics. But the problem is he has to come off the bench to do it. He cannot play – he, he cannot be that exciting and explosive over ninety minutes. Like he has to come off the bench to do that. And it's good to have a weapon like that, but for someone like Azani who was at the World Cup three and a half years ago, he shouldn't still be that player. Obviously, again, he has either had injury issues, but the point like it more shows that he hasn't had consistent football and that's like you can't excuse one injury for that. Like he's gotten over that. He's had about two years now where he hasn't had those injuries. So it's kind of not really good enough to use that as an excuse.
1: Yeah, I think Pat's absolutely hit the nail on the head there with Arzani. I think it's important to recognize that Arzani is one of the most individually brilliant and technically superb players that Australia's got anywhere. Like, even regardless of him playing any minutes, like, his technical ability is superb. Like, his first touch is incredible. He can beat anyone 1v1. That's the thing, right? Like, the way he freezes a defender one v one and just explodes past him with like a sh- like a shift or a body faint, so nice. And it it honestly reminds me of like what Sadio Mane does at Liverpool, where he'll just freeze a defender one v one, just blow past him because he's so explosive. Um, and Azani's got really strong hips, really strong lower body, and he's he's so technically good in that sense. But the problem is he has the exact same weaknesses now as he had four years ago, and the reason for that is because he hasn't been playing enough. So for, for players like Arzani, I think what what we should be advocating is for them to possibly stay another season in the A-League. I know Arzani was phenomenal in his first season, first sort of breakout season in the A-League, um, was was really sort of a key attacking figure in that Melbourne City side under Warren Joyce. But I think if he had another season in the A-League, and obviously there was the, the ACL and all of that that really... Derailed him, but if he had that another season, I think he probably could have got more minutes under his belt, which would have helped him going into the future. But I think it's important that we stop this rhetoric about Arzani that, like, his time is like now and whatever. Like, he might not um, turn out to be the exact, like, world class player that we all thought he could have been, but there's still no reason why he can't have a sound career for the soccerers. The man is like 22 years old, like, he's turning 23 in January. There's no reason to hit the panic buttons just yet. He just needs to find a club where
2: he's gonna play. I think there's no reason that we can't maybe see him coming back to the A League. As much as that, like as much as he'd probably cop a lot of flack on social media for that. And I under like I said, we understand that for the promise he showed would be disappointing. But I think even in the past he's had he's had loan moves in Europe that haven't gone well. I kind of wonder maybe if he just bit the bullet came back to the A League for half a season a season, whether that might have changed anything. I'm not sure I'm just kind of more to it out there it's just a bit of a thought
0: oh, yeah i agree i tend to agree it's this is something i've I've talked about before um on on different shows and and just in, with friends probably in our group chat um but players often do go overseas quite early because the appeal of europe is obviously there and you know especially if you're Arzani, in arzani's shoes and you know band city technically is coming knocking you very hard for you to say no to that. Um, but when you look, you know, even I use the example of Kwame Yeboah, who, you know, unfortunately isn't in football anymore, but he went, you know, after one breakout season, and if you look at his numbers, he didn't play almost any games in the A-League and he got to move to Germany. And he got sort of pushed down into the lower divisions and he tried to make it up that way. But that's a very hard uh, sort of pathway to go down. And, you know, you are eventually, effectively playing, you know, what seems like an MPL one level sort of opposition, not to discredit, you know, any of our German fans, but um, ultimately that's what happens. And and they don't get uh, the big move that they want. They end up coming back here. There's that uh, ex-victory player, Christian Theoharis, who's come back as well. It's another example. It's not to say that players shouldn't be going for European moves because obviously that's where it is, but you, you always think, well, you know, a move to Asia may provide better opportunities. You're playing slightly more games slightly similar to where we are now, playing an extra season in the A-League or even going to a different level of European football. You know, they all sign for these big clubs um, and, you know, it might work. And I used to operate something earlier who, who's playing regularly and at a relatively good level and, you know, he may get sort of enough recognition. But, you know, you always think second division or first division in Belgium or the Netherlands or something like that is probably a better springboard than going to City and then sitting and going on loan somewhere you know far lower and you know ultimately you should come back but something probably tells these players well, I don't want to because it feels like I failed in a way
1: mm. I think that's a that's a really interesting point as well because one thing that I think maybe stops players from from staying in the A-League longer is the length of the A-League season as well so like if we have in the A-League a 26-game season in Asia Like For example, Japan across three three professional leagues, Japan's 1st Division has 38 games, Japanese 2nd Division 38 games, Japanese 3rd Division 34 games. When you contrast the A-League's amount of sheer games that you play compared with Europe, if you have that belief in yourself to go and get consistent minutes in Europe, then you're automatically giving yourself more games. If you think you can um, pin down a place... But I think it's such an unforgiving environment in Europe. Like I've spoken to a lot of sort of players in the past, um, like and who've been to Europe, come back, etc. Um, one in particular, Tommy Dang, I've spoken to him a bit in the past. He was at um, PSV, um, playing in their youth team. He went to PSV for a bit, and the cutthroat environment is just insane. Like if you have one bad game and even in the youth team, you have ten trialists on the door rocking up the next day ready to take your place in the team. And if you're not really used to that and you're not cut out for it, it can really throw you to the wayside, especially in Australia where the footballing environment is quite sort of secluded and different in that sense. So I think it's sort of about either, one, educating players to deal with that properly when they get to Europe and see what's worked for the players that have done well in Europe, your Aaron Moyes, your Tommy Rogic's, all these sorts of guys. And then the other option is telling them to stay in the A-League until they're more established and Then go to Europe as an established player rather than a player that's going to be making their way up from the youth teams where it can be a lot harder. Definitely, Pat. Do you have anything to add to that?
2: No, not really. I think Tom summed up. I think, but I think Asia is also a good springboard. I think players are going to try that more and more. I think, especially Japan and Korea probably two leagues. I think, really, and we're seeing players over there. I think Alex Grant. Is he in the Asian Champions is his team in the Asian Champions League final? I think, yep, I think. Still, Tom, yep. Thomas Thomas Dang is over there, I think either in Japan or Korea as well. So I think and Taggart taget has been brilliant over there. So I think it's an option that players are more and more going to look at in the future as a springboard. And
0: I think, you know, good Australian players are quite well regarded because of the three plus one rule, which is going, but you know, it has been something that's kept a lot of Australians in some of those positions as well. So um now before we move on. Away from the soccer roots, and I guess we sort of already have. I'm going to trouble you both for a prediction. Now, it can be as outlandish as you like. I do quite like an outlandish prediction, but for the soccer roots, let's look. Um, I'll start with you, Pat. What do you think the score is going to be for this one? And, um, you know, tell me who you think your goal score is or something notable.
2: Uh, I think 2 1 to Australia. And why not? Stenceness to get a goal on Debo. Why not? That's my Ooh, outlandish one. There love you go. That.
1: <laughs> I do like that, Tom. Prediction? I'm going to go um, three-one, and I think one of the things I've checked the forecast for the past few days. The <laughs> last time, the last time I was in Sydney, the game got cancelled because I was there for Victory versus Sydney, and I had to go home without watching a game of football. <laughs> so, um, and that was because there was a lot of rain. Looks like there could
2: be a bit of rain. It's been compass. pissing down all weekend, and it's pissing down all week, so it really could happen. It's and, thundery at your way, Pat, as well, I believe, too. Oh, yeah, that was a massive storm earlier today.
1: Yeah. Quite a big one. And I think, dare I say it, the <laughs> rain could play a part because don't know how many times you've been to Riyadh or Jeddah, but I don't <laughs> think rain's too much over there. So um, I reckon that could help us a bit. And I reckon we're due a Harry Suter goal off a corner, Ooh, to be honest. I like that. In
0: the pouring rain. <laughs> with all... Love everyone it. in uh, the brollies and the um the ponchos out in the back. Everyone just losing their mind. There's nothing better than a goal when it's been absolutely pissing down. If I'm honest, when you're in in the nothing bays, because well. you just well. you know you just forget how wet you are at that point. <laughs> you go crazy. I like that. I do like that prediction. And I think that's that um lines up with that video you shared, Tom, of the Saudi team training at Football New South Wales, and it was raining, and they seemed quite bemused by the <laughs> rain. So <laughs> perhaps it is going to be something um that they're not quite used to i'm going to run on that and say the rain australia 3-0 demolition it'll go against everything we've said about how good how how tough they are but we're going to persevere and the rain's going to help us let's look at the a league though that's obviously coming up and we're going to preview a couple of the teams and and neil when he returns um from his holiday will be uh talking about the rest um with probably you guys again or a, a suitable amount of other hosts but let's start with the melbourne victory um Big signings for the victory, namely the big signing of Jared Tyson. (laughs) That's that's the big one. Famous chef. Uh, There's a lot of famous chefs coming out of Victory. Obviously, the one we won't name for legal reasons. And there's obviously (laughs) Asher Thompson, uh, and then now Jared Tyson. So big signing for you guys there, Tom.
1: Absolutely. I'm sure Jared Tyson will add some uh, great skill to that goalkeeping department. Hopefully, a (laughs) bit of morale around the squad. Really push. Ivan Kalava for his spot in the first team, I think. Yeah, Good flavour between the sticks. Well, oh, absolutely. It really <laughs> provide that extra sense of spice, I'd say, between the sticks.
0: Cook up a storm in the derby. But look, Victory has built a good squad. Um, that's not to say Jared Tyson isn't part of that, but he is an injury replacement. Let's be clear about that. But uh, Victory have built quite a good squad, and this is a year of rebuild considering the season you had last season. Uh, Popovich is known for that. He's done it with the Wanderers, and uh, he has done it. With Perth, um, we won't. We'll forget about the overseas sojourns that he's had. But Victory obviously needed it after last season, and they've brought in a number of players. And if I'm honest, you know, as an outsider, looks like a really good squad. Tom, I'm going to throw this at you because you are the resident Victory fan. Summarize for me your, the the squad. Who who's the biggest standout? Because there's a few. I can't even pick who I think is the most important
1: there. I think that's one of the honestly the best things about the squad is that we don't have that sort of like centerpiece big guy that's going to ruin the dressing room or sort of have all the attention on him. I think Popovich has done a great job at building a really even squad across the board. If you look at our goalkeeper, is brought in Kalava, who we don't know if he's going to be any good or not, but I'm assuming he is because Pop has brought him as a foreign goalkeeper. And then we've got um, some really good defenders, I think. Uh, you look at Jason Davidson, Garia, both represented the Socceroos in the past. Uh, both really good fullbacks, in my opinion. Roderick Miranda a really good centre back coming from um coming from I believe he was playing from in Turkey last season and um he was a like played a pretty big role in Wolves' promotion to the Premier League in 2017-18. So he'll be a really commanding presence on the um on the ball and without the ball in defense. Um, especially given that since Mathieu Delpierre left Melbourne victory, we haven't really had that commanding presence in central defence. A lot of players have come in, the likes of Alan Barrow, Georg Niedermeyer, even Tim Hoogland, players like that. But none of them have really met the standards that we wanted. The year that we won the title or won the grand final um, in 1718, 18 we had Reese Williams, who was a very commanding centre-back and he's going to be great for Western Sydney this season. But um, I think in terms of what Miranda can bring, he can bring something similar to the team. And then you look at the rest of the team. Ray Chan in midfield with Josh Brilante, good midfield partnership. I think if Rojas and Cruz can get back up to the um, back up to the levels that they've shown in the A League in the past, they can be frightening. And then of course Francesco Margiotta, who has come from Switzerland or played in Switzerland in the past, came from Serie B, who could be a pretty prolific number nine that we've really been calling out for since we've lost even. Sort of best up, Brischer. I know we had Ola Toivonen, but he was more of a, sort of a creative influence, sort of teed up teammates and stuff like that. But Magiotta looks like a um, really true sort of give the ball to him in the box, poaching a sort of number nine, which we sort of needed, I guess. So really happy with the squad, but um, I'm not really placing any expectations on this season, mainly because of how bad we were last season. <laughs> it's more, it's more just like. If we make finals and play good football, I'll be happy. Um, I know a lot of people are predicting us like win the league and stuff. I'm not really worried about that. I think it's just about playing good football, keeping the fans happy, getting the atmosphere going in the stands, and then making finals, hopefully. Now, a bit of a, um, a curveball
0: signing almost um, for many is the return of Matthew Spiranovic. Now, uh, Pat and myself obviously know a lot about him because he has played for us and, and featured in some key campaigns for us. But his he comes off a long spell having not played football. And you assume he's on not much money compared to, you see, some of the bigger names in the squad. But, you know, similar to, and we'll probably have this conversation we talked Wanderers with Rodwell, but he's the kind of player that if he does get his fitness up and he's anywhere near his ability, he could be, you know, a very shrewd signing for Popovich.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing with Spiranovic. I think it's a, um, it's probably a signing that wouldn't have taken up too much room inside the cap, I think, given that he had this this long layoff um, sipping on cocktails in Dubrovnik. So the um, <laughs> <laughs> So even if we, like, it's, it, in my opinion, it's a win-win. We've got him so probably cheap inside the cap. If he can reach the levels that he's reached in the past, let's not forget, the last game of professional football this guy played was for the Socceroos. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> he was really in that frame, and he's, like, one of the best defenders that Australia has, like, He's a great player. If we can get him up to those standards, then he'll be brilliant. If we don't, I think we have good backup elsewhere. You look at Garia can play centre-back. Nigro can go to right-back. Even sort of Brendan Hamill is like a decent sort of break-glass option. Um, so, yeah, like I think it's a bit of a win-win. I'm led to believe Speranovic has actually sat most of this preseason out due to injury. But if we can get him fully fit, I think he'll be a really shrewd acquisition, as you sort of highlighted there, Michael.
0: Pat, what are your thoughts? I know uh, victory is the evil club down south, but uh, what are your thoughts as objectively as you can give?
2: I'll, I'll be honest. Just before I go into actual thoughts, I've never really had a big problem with the victory. I know as a Wonders yes. fan, I'm technically supposed to, but I really, I, I don't know. I've, always, I think I've had a respect for them because up until about a couple of years ago, they were probably the best run club in the country. But anyway, back to actual football <laughs> discussion. Obviously, Tom just went through a lot of the signings and I agree with you. I think there's a lot of brilliant signs. I think Economides and Brellante in particular stand out to me. But I think the best signing this might be a bit of a this might be a bit over the top, but I think the best signing of all the A League is the victory against Popovich as coach because he will bring in a complete cultural reset there. And um, Popovich without his kids, is it <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good sign. Yeah. Yes, but seriously um I mean, we all know what he did at the Wanderers. The, they would not have had the success they did without him. And obviously in the last week was the seven-year anniversary of the Wanderers winning the Champions League. And like, I was looking through that squad. <laughs> that, that, that's I'm sorry, that squad had no right to be anywhere near winning an Asian Champions League. I mean, fair play, like, it just shows how well what Popovich can do, how he can kind of just bring a team together, even if they're not the best individual players, just how he can galvanise team, bring them all together. And I think actually Harper Pestinger in an article on Kick360, he spoke to Joey Gibbs and Joey Gibbs said so just himself, like he mentioned how Popovich was so crucial in that first season, like just how he can kind of bring people together. It's all on the same page. It's all about the mentality. It's all about the culture of the club. And I think it is honestly an absolutely fantastic signing. and. Will we see his customary first season grand final loss? I'm not sure. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure Neil would, I mean, um, Tom, sorry, Tom would take that in a heartbeat considering last season. But I think think victory will be top four. That's my prediction. I don't know if we're going to go on that soon, but I think they'll be top four. Just honestly, the signings and that Popovich is just, he's he's done better or the same with worse squads on paper. And they've got a good squad. A lot of their players have had the full preseason, or as full as it can be in COVID. I should say. But still, I mean, yeah, I think the victory will be back to where we expect the victory to be. They won't be in the doldrums again, I don't think.
1: I think one of the great things that Pop has also brought is brought a few of the itches. We saw a few of the itches at Western Sydney with Ante Kovic and Tommy Urich. I think maybe Tarek Elrich was there for for potentially a bit as well. So Elrich is
0: very different, but I'll take that. That's fair. <laughs> That's fine. I'll let that one through. <laughs>
1: yeah. Matthew Spiranovic coming in. You you love Popovic getting um, a lot of those itches into the squad, so we love a team full of itches, and we love a team full of Croatians. So hopefully, they're itching for a title for you guys. Absolutely, I know I certainly am, and I know I'm certainly itching to get into Amy Park this season (laughs) and partaking in the wonderful atmosphere created by the Melbourne victory supporting. Well, not long till you get to scratch that very itch.
0: But I wanted to touch on a big loss. Um, Now I, I say big loss. People will think this is tongue in cheek, but you know Elvis Kemsova's gone to Sydney and he's done very well in preseason so far for them. Is that something he used to do at Victory as well? He'd go and score 50 goals in preseason
1: and during the season a bit different? Or do you think he just fits their system better? I think it's a bit of both. He used to do this every preseason with Victory and then he'd still absolutely stink it up whenever he walked on the pitch for Victory. Um, to be honest, <laughs> I just. I've, Cam Sober's completely lost me since he lost his head against Sydney last season and got himself stupidly sent off. Uh, That was just, like, the the final straw for me, even after watching him trip over the ball every time he tried to dribble more than five yards for three years. But, um, like, honestly, like, if you play him the way he's meant to be played, which is, like, accepting that he's a footballer with zero technical ability, zero skill, and nothing except for pace, then sure like bring him off the bench in the 80th, 80th minute and tell him to run in behind and he might be able to like get a 1v1 and then miss but um, like that's what he'll do for Sydney I think like he'll he'll come he'll be a sort of break glass option off the bench he'll be sort of what Patrick Wood was last season and take minutes off a 22 year old which I don't like but um, like maybe he'll score like two or three goals I don't think he'll be massive I don't think he'll get many minutes as well like in terms of starting like They've got a lot of options in that final third Sydney, like Bobo, Lafondra, Barbarossa, Burgess, and Like there's a lot of real options there. So I don't know. If he's if he plays well, I'll be annoyed after he was so bad for victory. But um best of luck to him. He's gotten himself another A League contract somehow and I hope he does well. <laughs> now after that
2: sorry, after first, that you, you glowing go. report you gave him, I cannot wait for Cam Sober to come off the bench. And score a ninetieth minute winner in the Sydney Derby in two weeks' time, and just completely <laughs> ruined my night. I cannot wait. I am ready for it.
0: I'm not. <laughs> I'm absolutely not ready for that. But look, I, I'm ready for him to score a hat trick against the victory because I think that'd be wow, very same. funny. Or any goal against the victory because he, did he ever score for you guys? Or did he score one? It took him.
1: It took him until his last season. Last season yeah. before he scored. <laughs> I want to. Aaron- one time he did that um he did a like a massive cartwheel backflip sort of thing, uh, but then was adjudged to be offside. Is that so in the cool. Melbourne Derby, wasn't it? It was the opening yeah, goal, the cause... Melbourne derby Eddie had a number of years back. I remember, oh, I remember that. that. Um I wanna to touch on
0: before we move on to myself and Pat's favourite topic. Uh, obviously, the Perth Glory. No, the wonders. Um I want to talk about youth players because Victory have a couple. Uh, we've seen a little bit of Leighton Brooks, particularly the tail end of last season. Birkan Kurda, uh, Aaron Anderson, I believe, featured a little bit. Uh, J- Is Jay Barnett considered youth? I think he... Still technically, yeah, he, was a, on yeah. Yeah, he was an academy player. Uh, but you've also got Nishan Velopile and Zayden Bello, uh, who are some of the newer scholarship players. Is there anyone there that you sort of think, um, I know you may not have seen many of them play or play much, Tom, but is there anyone there you think could be someone that could break through for the victory this season?
1: Yeah, I really like Nishan Velopile, actually. I think he was probably one of the best players in the MPL 3 side last season. I think um, it was sort of him and Leighton Brooks playing on opposite wings for the MPL 3 side. Brooks sort of got the opportunity in the first team last season and took it with both hands. But personally, I think Vela Pile is more of a natural footballer. I think Brooks is more sort of runs down the wing. He can beat a man and cross the ball really well. But Vela Pile is really good at um, sort of like opening up his body, um, like hitting shots um, to sort of the far side, crossing. He can beat his man. He's a, he's a really natural player. Um, I really like Zayden Bellow as well. He recently played with the Oli Ruse. He just glides across the pitch. He's, he's a really good young talent as well. And then um, another one would be Edmund Lepanku. He's one of my best friends, actually. And he's in Melbourne Victory's um, sort of youth setup. And honestly, he's, the work he's had to do, like genuinely, to get to where he is, is phenomenal. And I really, really, really hope that he gets a chance to make his debut this season because it would be, honestly, one of the best things ever to see someone that I'm so like close friends with to go and make his debut for an ALE team would be so sick. That's cool. I look forward to the long read on uh, on his
0: debut and the whole day leading up to it, all these emotions. Um, speaking of emotions, following the Wanderers is an emotive experience, <laughs> I think, to say the least. Uh, something that Pat and myself have... Uh, have we've, we've run that particular gauntlet for many years. It is the 10th season of the Wanderers. A number of changes... Uh, for, look, last season wasn't the best, um, but... I think many people were somewhat optimistic with Carl, but people were also equally critical of Carl as well but this would be the season for him to prove it uh, considering this is now what you would call his squad he's brought in players that he likes he wants so it's crunch time ultimately if he doesn't do it this season you don't you wouldn't think he would you know keep his position so let's look number of key ins I know if Neil was here this would be a 50 minute piece about Swibel and Hammond. Uh, <laughs> but we will touch on them <laughs> just briefly. But a number of big signings, and we talked about Reece Williams uh, earlier when we were talking about the victory. Um, and speaking of victory, obviously we've got Traore as well. Um, but a number of players and some good signings: Antonis and Petrados as well, Agawa and Mayus, um, and Swibel I think look good too. But Pat, let's you know, looking at all the ins that we've had, who are some of the standout signings for you for the Wanderers squad?
2: I think Reece Williams. Like, Reece Williams will hopefully be what Dylan McGowan was supposed to be, but never, ever show, being that anchor at the back, using his leadership and his experience, kind of marshalling the back line, but then also helping the young kids come through. And the Wanderers have quite a few promising young centre-backs. So I think it's really important that the Wanderers have signed him. He's obviously the captain this season, which is a bit of a no-brainer. So, absolutely, yeah, Williams is great. I think, Anto- I think Terry Antonis is fantastic. I think him and Stephen yugarkovich could be one of the better midfield partnerships in the league. I mean, obviously, Tom will have fond memories of his performance in that famous semi-final against Sydney That's FC. Legend. But- and, 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 and Antonis, he's, he's previously, he spent, I think, half a season on loan at the Wanderers. And from what I remember, he was quite a good player. And I was quite disappointed that the Wanderers didn't sign him again. Further up the pitch, I think and Agaba again, they can be absolute. I think they can be a really good combination. I think Petrados could score 10, 15 goals. I think I, I do recall him scoring an absolute worldie against the Wanderers about three seasons ago. And it's one of those goals like I was at the stadium. I'm pretty sure me and my mates we clapped, who we were just like, you know what, <laughs> fair play. So if he could do that again, that'd be fantastic. But in all seriousness, I think. Last season, some people thought the Wanderers would be really good. And if I'm being completely honest, I didn't see the hype. I thought that too many of the signings happened too late. And unfortunately, I was proven right. But this season, most of the signings, apart from Agawa Mejas, have come in late. But the rest of them have had pretty much a full pre-season. And I think they've been re- they've been able to get together, to train together, to gel, to get the chemistry. And I was at the Wanderers' media day last week and just kind of seeing the players walk in and out, there's a really, really good vibe at the club. They all seem to get on. Obviously, there's a lot of younger players that have played through the youth levels at the Wanderers, so of course they're close together. But even some of the older, I'll use that in quotation marks, they're still probably like 26, 27, but some of the older players at the Wanderers, they all really get on too. They're all laughing, joking, having banter stuff. I think it's really a positive thing to see from a Wanderers' point of view. So I think... There is reason to have optimism this season, of course. I think like any club, you don't want to get too much hope. I think there has to be a little bit of caution. But I think this season, the hype is much more justified than, say, last season.
0: And I think to point out, you mentioned Agawa. Um, He's come in late. But the good thing is because he's come out of a J-League season, he is somewhat match fit, he's been training, he's been playing. So there is some positives there. And Mayus, you, the, you can make the argument that as a keeper, it doesn't mean as much than, say, if you're bringing in a midfield or late. So there's, you know, I agree with you, a lot of positive signs. I think to add to your comment, um, actually, you know, that whole team environment obviously helps that we have heaps of players who come out through our academy and they've come up through that system. But the boys have said in pre-season, just speaking to the guys at the club, that the players are all feeling really confident about that that squad unit. They're all quite close together already. Um and I think that's something that we've maybe have lacked over the last few seasons. Good leaders to really rally that dressing room, but also that back room sort of cohesion. You know, you talked about Popovich being the ringleader almost and, and he had my way is, is the highway type attitude. And after that we really had, you know, it was a it, it was a it was a very different vibe based on the stories that you hear. So it seems like we may finally sort of get back to that. Um you'd be interested to know that Petratos kicked Tristan Prendergast from like almost the corner flag the other day <laughs> intentionally. So, number one, not surprising for Prendergast because uh, he did do that for us a number of times. But um, he's scoring the bangers, so hopefully he can do that throughout the season. Good. Good. The Wanderers have a lot of youth players, and I think that's something that Carl focused on a lot last season was embedding a lot of that youth. Nada, obviously a big one. Aquilina, some of the standouts. We've got a few more coming in this season. You know, and I bring the Wanderers youth up earlier because it is a big feature of our club. Pat, you've watched some of these kids play. There's a lot more coming through, like Lapane, who's currently with the Oli squad. Is there anyone there that you look at immediately and think they're going to have a breakout or they're going to be able to kick on uh, this season?
2: Well, I think obviously last season, as you said, Aquilina and Nada had a lot of game time. And also I think Tasmurukudas... I think we'll see. He he had about thirteen games last season, a bit interrupted by injury. I think there was kind of a portion in the middle part of the season where he missed out through injury, unfortunately. But uh Tate Russell as well. He had quite a lot of game time, and I think one player who's featured a lot in preseason and actually signed a new contract this afternoon is Philip Kankar. So he he started professionally at the age of sixteen in Croatia. He came to the Wanderers, played in there. NPL first grade team. And yeah, if, if you kind of obviously, we haven't been able to watch, well, except for Turner, we haven't been able to watch the preseason games. But judging by the lineups, Kankar's had a lot of game time. So I think maybe don't be surprised to see him get some games. Obviously, it's at the centre back spot and the Wanderers are quite stacked there. But given that we might see Tass and Jonica Trumbus maybe play a bit higher up in the defensive midfield spot, there still could be room for Kankar to potentially play a role. And obviously, injuries too. You never know what can happen.
0: I'm the worst person to be the only person to have watched them play because I'm not a tactical person. I couldn't tell you. People were texting me asking what the formation was. I'm like, I've got no idea. i the goal taking photos. I can't see anything. Um, Interestingly, though, and this is a complete rebuttal on my previous statement, Tass was playing as a six uh, in our preseason game against Blacktown, and I believe he's been sort of playing that position a few times. He may have done so at the members down the weekend. But, you know, we've a lot of people have talked about our midfield depth a little bit, and I think people have skipped over that, that, oh, we need another forward or we need someone here. But, you know, having a bit more depth in the midfield is something that, you know, a lot of people seem to believe we, we need. Tass moving into that role and he, he scored against Blacktown and he seemed quite comfortable in that position. And We know he's very good on the ball. So he adds he adds to that. But before I get um, Tom's opinion, I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to throw in, you know, with the midfield side of things, Jack Rodwell. Now, mm. hot topic of conversation, you know, my thoughts summarised really is, if he's cheap, fit, and anywhere near his ability, it could be the signing of the season.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'd go signing of the season, but I, th- I think a lot of people overreacted on it when they first heard it. Obviously, the first thing you think of when you think Jack Rodwell, especially in recent years, is that Sunderland till I die. He was not trade in a gr- portrayed in a great light there. Obviously, we don't know how much of that is true or false. But I think the fact is that he's willing to come down under and try without the assurances of getting a contract. I think that shows that his attitude is actually okay. He hasn't come in and said, oh, no, I want to start. I want to be marquee. I want this and that. It seems that if he's willing to do a trial, it surely shows that he isn't going to be this prima donna that's going to like demand or break the dressing room. And I I think I agree with what Turner was saying. The midfield depth is something that I was worried about. I think in my article about a month ago, that's one thing I said, that the Wanderers probably don't have enough midfielders at the moment. They're probably one injury away from... A crisis. So I think Rodwell, if he does, like I said, he's been trialling. Everyone's seen him in the photos on the Wondrous socials. But I think he'd be a really, really good addition. Whether it be backup or whether he can work his way into the starting, I think that'd be a great signing.
0: And if I could just throw in there, he, he looks quite fit in the photos as well. Yeah. He doesn't look like someone who has, you know, what I would do if I was a pro footballer and out of a job. I'd eat a lot of burgers and steak and chips and whatever I can get my hands on. Um, so he does look quite fit. Tom, looking objectively as a, as, a, as a fan of an opposition team, um, who do you think is a standout for the Wanderers? Who's the one that you are most worried about facing when Wanderers come down upon victory?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think the answer to that would be Terry Antonis because I don't want him to go and break my heart. I think he's still <laughs> seen this fantastic light by all Melbourne Victory fans after what he did uh, in that semi-final in 2018. But he's just he's a, such a good player uses both of his feet absolutely perfectly can hit a pass 70 yards can defend can shoot from outside the box he's, he can take set pieces as well he's brilliant but on the Rodwell thing as well I think I, I sort of mirror Turner's sentiment there in terms of it's 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 a bit like Spiranovic in it, in that it's a bit of a win-win you're getting him on the cheap a player who has phenomenal pedigree like it wasn't sort of, what, eight years ago that he went to Man City for millions from from Everton. So he's got that really good pedigree. He doesn't need to be here for a contract. He already spent a few seasons holding Sunderland to ransom, getting that contract. So he doesn't really need to worry about the money really that much. If he comes to the A-League and shows that his attitude is there, then I think he'll be a really, really big signing. Um, on the youth stuff as well, I think that's a really good point with Western Sydney because it seems like now Western Sydney are uh, are finally harnessing that sort of Western Sydney catchment area. So if we look in the past, a lot of Australia's best footballers have come from the western suburbs of Sydney. So in theory, you would would think and you would hope that Western Sydney have access to that sort of catchment catchment area of players. Um, I'm not sort of too familiar with Western Sydney, so I'm sure you guys could sort of clarify this. But football is from what I've heard, sort of a bigger sport in Western Sydney than it is in other parts of Australia. So I guess those players choose to play football over potentially rugby or, or any other sport like cricket or something. Um, so I think that gives Western Sydney an advantage. And with all of these young players that you've got coming through now, we're finally seeing Western Sydney as a club reap the rewards of having great players um, to historically in that catchment area. And I think, if that continues, there's no reason why Western Sydney can't continue to blood the youth in the same way that Melbourne City have in the past few seasons. Where it's honestly quite ridiculous <clears> how <throat> many players have come out of their academy. You look at Conor Metcalf, Daniel Arzani, Rami Nazarine, Dylan Perez, Dennis Genro, Nathaniel Atkinson, Tom Glover. Kansas City wasn't in their academy, but you get the picture. They've got a lot of um they've got a lot of really really good young players that have come out of there, and it'd be great if Western Sydney can do the same. I may be biased, but I tend to agree
0: with that <laughs> statement. Um, to, to I guess to finish off the Wanderers segment, um, we'll quickly touch on Rhys Williams. Um, you know, people have been critical of the Wanderers in the past. Uh, Dill McGowan as captain, I think there was a lot of criticism about his leadership skills and how vocal he was and how much he was acting as a leader. I think Carl may have alluded to it in a press conference as well. Um, and now there was ch- ch- talk that he, you know, hadn't played for the club for a long time and he got handed the captaincy. Contrast that with Rhys Williams. Maybe it's because we've now you know there's no one else really who you would throw at that who's been at the club for a long while. But Reese Williams made captain. Obviously, he's just joined the club. He had a lot of positive words in his press conference at the Wanderers fan forum. But um, starting with you, Pat, uh, what do you think of Reese's appointment at captain?
2: Yeah, like I said before, I think it's really a no-brainer. He's experienced with the Socceroos. He's played at Middlesbrough in the championship. I think did he captain Middlesbrough? Oh, am I imagining? Yeah, have he, yeah, he did. Yeah, he's played Socceroos. He's won grand finals with the victory. He was playing. He was playing regularly at Saudi Arabia, which is a pretty strong league. So it makes sense. And I think, like I said, we've got so many young defenders coming through. If they can learn off him, that is just fantastic. And I think if I if I was a young centre back at the Wanderers, I would just be like following Reese Williams around and just bugging him and pestering him and asking him for advice and stories and stuff.
0: Got a great beard too, uh, Tom. <laughs> your, your experience, considering you know he was a stalwart of your club as well at one point.
1: Yeah, I can't sort of have enough sort of superlatives to say about Rhys Williams. I absolutely love him. I think he's so brilliant. I think he's one of the most underrated Australian players we've had in recent years. His ability on the ball, his strength, his height, his leadership capabilities, as you have alluded to, it sort of makes for the perfect concoction of a central defender. I think and. If he is still at the form that he was at victory a few seasons ago when really he was one of the reasons why we were sort of in that title race for in the in the first place, in my opinion, it was essentially himself and Leroy George just taking on the rest of the league and carrying us. Um, so if Reese Williams can mirror those standards this season, I know he's sort of getting on a bit, sort of 34, 35 years old, I'm led to believe, but um, if he can... If he can show what he's done in the past and pro- and provide that sort of solidity in defence, then I think he'll be a, a very, very, very important signing for Essence in this season.
0: Now we've, uh, we're closing in on the hour mark, which uh, is when Neil doesn't want us to get over and we always have to listen to Neil because he is uh, the brains trust for this show. I'm just a guest in this house, uh, me and my technical difficulties. But let's talk about the Perth glory. Now, Perth, big signings I think would be, to say the least, uh, with the big notable signing, but they've, you know, it's not just uh, Daniel Sturridge that they've picked up that is make is is sort of headline worthy. Obviously, Sardinero coming from Big Crete, uh, he, he's come from is a, is a good signing. But Brad Jones is one that's flown a little bit under the radar. He's a very good signing for him.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think Brad Jones was a um, sort of much maligned by Liverpool fans during his time at Liverpool. I think there was one game in 2014 when he came in for Mignolet at Old Trafford, and basically we conceded three goals and all of them were Brad Jones errors. But <laughs> but he's become a very good player in the past few years because he went to Netherlands. I think he might have won the league there. He did win the league, yeah. Yeah, and he was, he was a great goalkeeper there. <laughs> I think he hasn't really had the opportunities in the Australian national team because of how many good goalkeepers we tend to produce. You look at Matt Ryan and Langerak and stuff, Jones is right up there, I think, in terms of where he's hit in his career. So I think he'll be a very important player for Perth. They've got a good defense. If you look at sort of Kosuke Otter, he's a very good sort of attacking left back. Daryl Lackman was a solid defender last season. What worries me about Perth's squad, though, is that they are extremely unbalanced. If you look at sort of their midfield, they've got Brandon O'Neill, great midfield player but then the person you're partnering with him is arguably not the quality that is accepted, acceptable in the A-League. You're looking at sort of either square pegs in round holes or you're looking at the likes of Mitchell Oxborough or sort of Callum Timmins, like youngsters and stuff. And if you want to be competing for an A-League title, I think you've got to have a more balance in your squad because they've got four strikers and one good midfielder. It's, it seems very, very unbalanced, but I think they'll be a fun team to watch, that's for sure. And uh, look, a big notable
0: out, obviously, Castro, Um, but you've got, you know, Fornaroli. Look, I know know he's not Castro levels of age, but he's starting to get a bit older, uh, as is Keo as well, I should say. So, I mean, uh, they're going to go and like score the most amount of goals in the season after I say this, but you you think that their, you know, prolific goal scoring runs are going to surely come to an end
1: soon. Yeah, well, I think it would be sort of remiss to not mention Daniel Sturridge in this conversation. But yes. <laughs> if they can if they can keep Daniel Sturridge on the park for more than fifteen games, then they could have forty goals just from him. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I, I guess a lot of the a lot of that attacking responsibility will be on Sturridge's shoulders if they can't get the expected output from the likes of Fornaroli and Keo. But then they've got. This guy, Adrian Sardinero, coming in, I think he can play out wide and in the middle, so could be interesting to see what he does. But like I said, it's fine to have all this attacking quality, but if you don't have the midfield to sort of back it up, then it can be really hard to get the ball to those attacking players. I think a good example actually is, if you look at Australia's game against China, like China had like all those really good attacking players, right? They had like Alka and like Wu Lei, who's playing in La Liga and stuff. But their midfield was so bad that they couldn't even like get the ball out from the back and give the ball to these attacking <laughs> players. So, um, if that that could potentially be an op, uh, like sort of a roadblock for Perth for this season. But yeah, as I said, if Sturridge Sturridge will light up the league if he plays more than fifteen games, I think, and he'll be a very very fun watch and he'll draw a lot of people to the A League. As myself and Pat. Uh, alluded to in an article that we wrote together recently uh, about his influence on the Liverpool fan community in this country.
0: Now, I wanted to touch on that. Uh, Pat, I want to get your general thoughts on Perth as well, but um, I wanted to throw that out there with Sturridge. I, I always hark back when I look at big-name foreigners to the season of Del Piero with Sydney FC, where they'd centred a team around this big-name player. There was very much, there wasn't much backing him up in that, and I think Sydney finished seventh in that, first season, the 2012-13 season with him. Uh, coincidentally, Wanderer's first season, but um, probably unrelated. Uh, but, yeah, he galvanises and gets the fans to the games. We saw that throughout the country with, with the Juve fans and the Italian fans. Um, do you think just, uh, you know, Tom's alluded to it there as well, but, Pat, do you think that instability in their squad and uh, um, would could give them potentially a similar season?
2: Yeah, well, I think to- I-, I was going to mentioned the midfield issue because I think as much as O'Neill is a brilliant player and I know that Sydney FC fans are very very disappointed that he has signed for Perth so I know how good he is but I think yeah their midfield probably isn't strong enough hasn't got enough depth and as much as Tom said they have a good defense I'm not doubting I'm not saying that Tom's wrong but they really struggled defensively last season mm-hmm. I remember the game against the Wanderers where they decided to have the highest line in human history, and it just, they, and they didn't stop once it. Even though they realised it stopped working, they didn't change it. But I don't know if that's a defensive problem or if that's a problem with the coaching, which is what I was going to say. I'm really not sure that. I, I look, I'll be honest. I have not watched enough of Perth to make a judgment, but I kind of just have this feeling in the back of my mind that Richard Garcia is maybe not good enough to get the full potential. I'm not saying that he can get them to the final short if all of their attacking players stay fit, but I don't know if he's going to get the best out of the team.
0: Well, that sums up the Perth glory. Let's look at Wanderers' B team, Newcastle Jets. (laughs) But uh, the Jets, look, they've had an interesting ride over the last few seasons, and I feel for people who are Jets fans and have been down that road and everything seems a bit up in the air. But Pappas has come in and he... Is doing the best with what he has. I think that's probably best fair to say. But, look, he's, he's been quite shrewd in the transfer market. He's brought in a number of players, but a lot of them he's, you know, Matt Yerman's a very good signing. Uh, James Donachie is back uh, at the end of his loan, but, you know, he's, he's good to come in. I mean, Cam Devlin's technically considered an in, so we'll gloss over his <laughs> signing. But, um, you know, Jordan Elsie, um, but he's also picked up a number of sort of young, hot prospects that are sort of around there as well. So, you know, um, I've lost my place on my screen. Sam Silvera, as an example, uh, Costa Grozos, players like that. Um, and, of course, Eli Babal was another big one for them. Um, but, you know, even down to Michael Ware signing as a goalkeeper from the NPL, uh, from NPL Victoria, I think it is. Um, again, they've sort of had to find players wherever they can find them. It's They don't have the luxury that a lot of other clubs have had. But it doesn't look like that bad of a squad overall. Tom, I'm wondering what your thoughts are overall, what their squad, what their squad looks like to you.
1: Yeah, I think it looks decent. Uh, Don, I think Donachie went to Sydney as well without playing a game for Newcastle, so I think he actually, like, transferred without playing a game, which was a bit weird. Oh, you're right. That's yeah. not bad. Yes. And then, yeah, so they, but they brought in Jordan Elsie and Matt Yeoman, which is a great sort of centre-back partnership there. Um What worries me about Newcastle's squad is that it's so dependent on these foreign players. Like, I think their entire front four is foreigners, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, you're right. Sierra Sietrovanis, Bumel, and Mikel Dazi or something like that. Um, And then they got another guy in midfield, I think Mario Arquez or something. So five foreigners... We don't know anything about any of them, to be honest. It's always sort of a a lucky dip when you look at foreigners. I think the the, the saying amongst Victory fans is you're either a Leroy George or a Jakob Paulson. So um, (laughs) it's it's essentially that sort of thing with Newcastle Jets. What would worry me is Melbourne Victory last season brought in a lot of these foreign players and a lot of our squad was sort of pinned around the Rudy Stead and the Callum McManaman and Jacob Butterfield and Ryan Schotten. No one knew if they were going to be any good and none of them were good. So I think Newcastle could face a similar issue and it's a bit of a worry when your entire front four is foreigners and you don't have that much backup in terms of proven A-league talent. But in saying that, good centre-back partnership. Yeoman and Elsie is solid and I think there is a decent chance they could make finals, but there is also a decent chance that they finish last. So (laughs) it will be interesting to see (laughs) what happens this season with them. Pat, do
0: you agree with that wide range of uh, prediction?
2: Yeah, I I think I think they will fight. They will challenge a lot for the top six. I'm not sure. They might have to get a bit of luck going their way, and to get in the top six, they probably need at least three of their foreign players to be good. But like Tom alluded to, I think they've got a really solid defence, and I think maybe that's what. Pappas was going for. Maybe he's known that the foreigners are going to be a bit unknown. So kind of at the back where you need it to be the most solid. Get get A League experience, solid people that you know will give you constant seven out of ten. So I think that'll be a really good anchor for them. And yeah, the, I think they can challenge for maybe one of those last two places in the top six. I think especially with MacArthur's off the field issues that maybe are making them not look as strong as they were. I think you I think yeah. Definitely, challenge for the top six. Maybe a bit too far this season. I think it's just I can't confidently say they'll be in the top six just because there's too much unknown with their foreigners. But they they will not disgrace themselves. I think they'll put up a really good fight.
0: Uh, the another one of the interesting signings uh, is Babal, who started his career with quite a a lot of promise and potential at Melbourne Heart initially. Uh, I think he's an AAS product originally, but he sort of ended up doing a world trip of of. Um, sort of clubs that he's played for, uh, I think it was in India and most recently in Thailand's second division. So he comes in and I guess, you know, I know he had a stint at the Raw, but this is another chance for him to try and recover what he once had. Um, you know, I think, Pat, you may remember when he scored against the Wanderers and sort of terrorised our defence for a bit in 2012-13 mm-hmm. um, in that season before he went overseas uh, the first time. But he has the potential to be a good player, you know, as in, because he, you know, has been a good player, but it's just been so long since he's played regularly. I think would have been when he was at heart, he played a, a full season and that would have yeah. been the last time.
2: I, I remember him getting, was he at the Raw? I remember him being at Adelaide United for some reason. Is, Adelaide is that just is, no, no, okay, Adelaide No, he Adelaide
0: 17, yeah.
2: Right. Okay. Because I, I, remember, I remember him getting a really bad injury at Adelaide and i pretty sure that really kind of sums up his career it's just been one of those ones where as soon as he starts playing he gets a bad injury so yeah look hopefully for him and for Jets fans hopefully he can kind of reach a bit of that potential that we have unfortunately not seen but is is it a risk I mean you'd probably assume he's not on the biggest money but yeah it'd be interesting to sit, kind of track his development and see what he can do in the Hunter.
1: Tom your thoughts as well? Yeah, I think it's a really sort of perplexing sort of situation because I remember when he was at Melbourne Heart and he looked like a really promising young talent. Yeah. And then I think he went to Europe and just didn't really kick on and then he's obviously been on this sort of, as you said, the world trip. I think he might have even played for the Socceroos. He played twice, yes. (laughs) Which is like, it's so weird to think that somebody um, would, I guess – sort of come and, and perform really well from the outset from the A-League and then sort of transcend themselves into the wilderness for eight years. So it'll be interesting to see if he's sort of changed as a player. But I guess he gives them a, a break glass option up front if they need someone who can uh, uh, sort of score headers because he's pretty tall if I remember right.
0: Yeah, um, he, well, he's actually the third joint third-tallest uh, player to have played for the Socceroos. Oh, uh, you, you can guess the top two. <laughs> Very easy. <laughs> Harry Sutar? Yes. Josh Kennedy? No, Zoko Kalach. Ah, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's equal at 1.9, you know, stupid facts, but 1.95 metres with Robbie Cornthwaite and Sasa Ognanovsky, so joint third.
1: Right, tallest, yeah. So, yeah. So- Fun fact of the week. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. That's why we need more from you, Off. That's right. Um, well,
0: if I look, if I get off this, if I get a permanent signing from this injury replacement contract for Neil, I'd be happy to bring these <laughs> excellent facts to the table <laughs> more often. But I think fun facts is probably the best place to leave it. Um, you know, we've yes. summed up probably in more depth the Wanderers and uh, Victory, but probably the two sides that are more likely to be in that sort of upper echelon of the league. But it has been fun. This has been an extra long kick, uh, kick cast. I can barely speak at the end of this. Um, of course, it's exciting week ahead with the Socceroos, and I will be seeing both of you guys You know, either at a pub or maybe at the game. We'll see both. where we are. Both. Probably both. <laughs> um, I, think we, I think Neil's got a great trip planned for, for you guys, so that should be a lot of fun. Pat, thank you very much for being on the show again.
2: That's all right, mate. Appreciate it.
0: And Tom, thank you for joining us as well. Thanks, everybody. Pleasure. I've been Michael Turner, your host, and uh, don't forget to visit uh, kick360.com.au to check out all our fabulous wares, articles, features, and more, and subscribe to the KickCast on your favourite podcast app. Have a good one. See ya.